To grace how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. What do you do with a wandering heart? What hope is there for your wayward loves and misdirected desires? As the prophet Jeremiah delivers his word of warning to Israel before the arrival of judgment and exile, he homes in on the root of the rot that was withering the worship of the Lord. Jeremiah slices through external realities with the precision of a surgeon as he perceives that the heart of the problem is the heart problem of the people. Jeremiah says, This is what the Lord says, Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots out into the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green, and it has no worries in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind, to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. As Jeremiah reflects here, the heart will deceive you. The Lord will guide you into all truth. The nation was going astray, but the prophetic word from the Lord calls individuals to nevertheless worship and obey. Even if all others are turning away, the prophet reminds you that you yourself are still able to remain faithful. The call to repentance goes forth to the nation, but also directly addresses you as a hearer of this word. In Psalm 1, the psalmist reflects on just this dynamic. Here the poetic word echoes the prophetic word. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Drawing on language from the book of Joshua, the psalmist envisions two paths, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. The way to get on the right path is to walk with the Lord. Trust in his word and pursue his purposes with an enduring perseverance. As pilgrims and wayfarers, we need this encouragement to stay on the path of righteousness. Because of our deceitful hearts, we must have the light of truth to mark out our proper path and to warn us against the darkness of wayward routes. Because we are forgetful people, we need to remember to meditate on these words of blessing and warning. 
In Jesus' ministry, he often draws upon this poetic and prophetic tradition from the Hebrew scriptures of two paths, one of blessing and one of woe. In Luke 6, there is a scene where Jesus is healing and comforting crowds of people. He then turns to his closer disciples and articulates these two paths of blessing and destruction. In doing this, he also points out the eschatological destination of these two paths. What awaits those on the path of righteousness and what awaits those on the path of destruction? Luke recounts, Now Jesus went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled with impure spirits were cured, and the people all around tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you now, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. With these words, Jesus connects his teaching ministry with the grand storyline of the Old Testament scriptures. He also amplifies the stakes and assures that both the promises of blessing and the promises of judgment will be fulfilled by the work of God in the world. At this point, and especially in light of this remarkably elevated urgency, we might think, this task is too great for me. I don't, I don't have the strength for this kind of endurance. I don't have the discipline to govern my wayward desires. What hope is there for me as a pilgrim who is still on the way, but has grown weary. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us an answer. The resurrection is at the core of future hope, of life with God, forgiveness of sins, and the experience of blessing. After a clear and direct discussion of the gospel of Jesus' atoning death and resurrection that took place according to the scriptures, Paul notes that everything rides on the reality of the resurrection. Paul states, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hoped in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The readings for this week have provided an extended reflection on the bad news of our deceitful hearts and the good news of gospel hope. Your heart will deceive you. Your desires will lead you astray. Your strength will falter and your resolve will become weary. But the gospel message is not to try harder to defeat those mental and spiritual foes, but rather that these stumbling blocks have already been defeated by someone else. God in Christ by his spirit has overcome the impossible barrier of unforgiven sin. If the gospel is true and Christ has been raised, then our hope is secure. If you are united with Christ by faith, your ultimate hope is secure. By his grace, you can rest in him and strive to worship and obey as sons rather than as servants. Praise the Lord for his grace.